The image on your bulletin this morning is an icon of St. Thecla. There are three churches in the United States that are named after St. Thecla. One is in Chicago, one is in Clinton, Michigan, and the third is in Pembroke, Massachusetts, which is one town over from where I grew up. In Spain, Thecla is considered the patron saint of computers because her name sounds like the Spanish word tecla, which means keyboard. Fascinating, huh? I'm not exactly sure what the system is for how saints get associated with various causes, but to me, Thecla is the patron saint of women who persist. In the Eastern Church, Thecla is designated as equal to the apostles. And this is a term that serves as a recognition of the saint's outstanding service in the spreading of Christianity, comparable to that of the original apostles. With this, with this designation, Thecla is in a cohort with Constantine the Great, St. Patrick of Ireland, and many others. Thecla was a martyr, an evangelist, a woman who followed her call no matter what obstacles men put in her way. I'm curious, is anybody familiar with Thecla's story? Has anyone heard of her before? A couple hands. How many of us have heard of Emperor Constantine? Or St. Patrick? Yeah, a lot more hands. You know, I spent a long time trying to find a way to turn this sermon into some sort of overarching idea or with a neat little take-home message that you can fit in your pocket and carry with you throughout the week. And I kept coming back to the fact that despite growing up Christian, I had never heard about Thecla until two years ago as a side note in a New Testament class. I kept coming back to the sad truth of just how often women's stories get lost in time, get lost in history. So I want to let Thecla's story speak for itself. Her story appears in a text called The Acts of Paul and Thecla. It's a component of the Acts of Paul, which is an apocryphal text in the New Testament. It was written in the second century and takes place in what is now Turkey, following Paul around as he evangelizes about Christ and how to live a Christian life as he anticipates Jesus' return to earth within a generation or so. I find Paul an interesting case because while he acknowledges that he never met Jesus in person, he did have a vision of Jesus, which he claims as the basis for his apostolic authority. Clearly, Paul never suffered from imposter syndrome. But... This isn't a sermon about Paul. This is a sermon about Thecla. This isn't a sermon about how the patriarchy harms people. This is a sermon about how those harmed by the patriarchy have persisted, risen up, and kept on going. This is a story about the stories that we rarely hear about. This is a story about Thecla. And what did Thecla do? Thecla violated the rules. She was warned. She was given an explanation. Nevertheless, she persisted. Thecla lived with her mother, Theoclea, and she was engaged to a man named Thamaris. Paul arrives in her town, Iconium, to preach, and his message is one of celibacy. Now, you see, Paul was convinced that Jesus' return was going to happen any day, or at least within his lifetime, and he figured folks ought to just stay as they are until that time. 
You might remember him saying something like this in 1 Corinthians. If you're unmarried, stay that way. Stay celibate. Abstain. If you're married, well, don't divorce on my account. Just remain in the state that you are in. So this is a somewhat similar message that Thecla is hearing from Paul out of her bedroom window, and she can't draw herself away. She decides that she, too, is going to remain celibate and breaks off her engagement with Thamaris. Now, Thamaris and Thecla's mother, they think that she's basically been brainwashed by Paul and his teachings. But I think that Thecla had a pretty good idea of what she was doing. Perhaps she felt that she was meant for things bigger than what the social constraints of the time would allow a married woman to do. For second-century women, celibacy not only delivered them from the risks of childbirth, but also provided them with opportunities for work and for service that married women did not have access to. Celibacy was a way that young, a young woman could retain her agency in society. A life of intentional virginity meant that she was not subject to any husband. She was her own person. Now, Thecla's mother and her fiancé were not happy about this. So they alert the governor that this Paul guy is brainwashing all the young women, depriving men of their wives, and Paul is thrown in jail. Thecla, wanting to hear more of Paul's teachings about Christ, visits Paul in jail and bribes the jailkeepers so that she can even enter into his cell and sit at his feet and learn. Now, this is the last straw for Thecla's mother, who decides that her daughter should be made an example of and calls for her to be burned at the stake so that all the other girls may know what happens if they follow Paul. Now, Paul, meanwhile, has escaped with just being banished. Thecla, determined to neither renounce her faith nor renounce her celibacy, bravely steps up to the pyre, is encouraged by a vision of God, and crosses herself before they light the wood below her. But before she can be consumed by the flames, God sends a storm that puts out the fire. So now, freed, and with the help of a local neighbor, Thecla locates the banished Paul, expresses her desire to travel with him and learn and preach, and Paul basically tells her that he doubts she'd be able to withstand another test of faith, even after she withstood the test of faith of being burned at the pyre. <laughs> Thecla implores Paul to baptize her, arguing that that is all the protection she would need, and Paul defers, not now, later, we'll get to that, be patient. Nevertheless, she persists and ends up accompanying Paul to Antioch, cutting her hair short in an attempt to disguise herself as a man. But the disguise doesn't work. And when they enter the city, a nobleman named Alexander spots her and is instantly smitten. He first offers to bribe Paul in exchange for Thecla. But Paul, in a great moment of bravery, denies even knowing who she is and assures Alexander that Thecla isn't one of his associates. So Alexander attempts to take Thecla, and, abandoned by Paul, Thecla successfully fights Alexander off herself. Unfortunately, dishonoring a nobleman like that was not something you could just do and expect to get away with it, self-defense or not. Alexander goes to the governor, who condemns Thecla to be thrown to the beasts in the arena. 
death sentence number two. Once in the arena, the women of the city begin to protest Thecla's death sentence. They yell that the governor has made an evil judgment. They curse their own city for allowing this ordeal to happen, but they fail to move the governor. So Thecla is stripped down to a loincloth, and the beasts are set upon her. And in a miraculous display of sisterhood, one of the beasts, a lioness, fights off all the other animals in an effort to protect Thecla. She lies down at her feet and licks them. It's like Daniel in the lion's den, only fiercer and female. But the lioness's protection only lasts for so long, and the lioness eventually dies in battle with another lion. So Thecla, now left completely to fend for herself, spies a pit of water filled with hungry, angry seals. So she steps up to the pit and decides that since Paul had dragged his feet so much about baptizing her, that this would have to suffice. And she throws herself into the pool, crying out, In the name of Jesus Christ, I baptize myself on this last day. And as soon as she plunges into the pit, God sends a lightning bolt that kills the seals, but not Thecla, and sends a cloud to hide Thecla from the other beasts. And at this point, the women in the crowd start throwing incense and ointments and perfume and all sorts of strong-smelling things into the arena, confusing the animals by masking Thecla's scent and causing them all to fall asleep. So, then, Alexander, the nobleman who Thecla offended, he suggests tying Thecla to two angry bulls, but the flames from the torches used to anger the bulls burns through the rope and frees Thecla again. (laughs) So then a woman, Tryphena, She's a local woman. She had looked after Thecla while she awaited the arena, sort of like while she was out on bail. And she had bonded with her as a surrogate daughter. And Tryphena is watching the spectacle from the gates of the arena, and she suddenly faints and is mistaken for dead. And this, of all things, is what spurs Alexander to ask the governor to halt the execution. Because you see, as it turns out, Tryphena is a relative of Caesar, the emperor. And Alexander is afraid that if Caesar finds out that Tryphena died because of this spectacle, that he would destroy the city in anger. So that's what gets this all to stop. So the governor brings Thecla over to him and asks her how she managed to survive so miraculously. This is Thecla's moment to testify. She takes a deep breath. I am a slave of the living God. As for what I'm about... I have come to believe in the Son in whom God was well pleased. It's because of him that not even one of the beasts touched me. He alone is the goal of salvation and the foundation of immortal life. He is refuge for the storm-tossed, relief for the distressed, shelter for those who despair. Hearing this, the governor releases Thecla, declaring her to indeed be a servant of God. Tryphena, 
recovering from her fainting spell and overcome with joy, formally adopts Thecla and invites her to come and teach the word of God to her household, that they may all come to believe. And after a time, Thecla again disguises herself as a man and sets off to find Paul. When she does, she informs him of her baptism, and Paul gives her this simple missive. Go and teach the word of God. According to the earliest version of this story, Thecla then returned to her hometown, reconciled with her mother, traveled to Seleucia, and had a long career as an evangelist and teacher. The story ends by informing us that after enlightening many with the word of God, she slept a good sleep. So there are two things about the story of Thecla that jump out at me. The first is her dogged persistence to learn and preach the works of God and the good news of Christ, conventions and status quo be damned. And the second is the way that her story touches the various other women in her life who become her supporters and often come to her defense, even, as was the case with the lioness, at the cost of their own lives. To me, Thecla is a total baller. Can't do what I want as a married woman? Well, then I'll commit to celibacy. Paula refuses to defend me against a man who wants to rape me? Guess I'll just fight him off myself. Paula doesn't think my baptism is that urgent? Well, let me just dive into this pit of carnivorous animals for my baptism. People don't think women should be preachers? Just watch me. Thecla's story is one that lifts up women in ministry. It's a story in which Thecla is so clearly and explicitly given an apostolic mandate. I mean, you can't get much more explicit than Paul himself saying, go and teach the word of God. So why hadn't I ever heard of her until I got to seminary and was reading some of the apocryphal New Testament, te New Testament texts? I suspect it's the same reason that it took a blockbuster movie for the stories of Katherine Johnson, Dor Dorothy Vaughn, and Mary Jackson, three black female NASA engineers who are instrumental to the space race to be widely known. I suspect it's the same reason that the movie Stonewall invents a white cis male character to lead the famous riots that in reality were led by trans women of color Marsha P. Johnson, Sylvia Rivera, and Miss Major. I suspect it's the same reason that the writers of the Gospels give us at least some backstory to all the male disciples, but with groups of women we just get Mary and the other Mary. What other stories are we missing? Whose other stories are we missing? It comes as no surprise to us to hear that the deck is stacked against women's stories and voices being preserved through history, that it's stacked against their stories and voices and names being attached to the legacies that they've left and that we take for granted. You may not have noticed, but the selections for our prelude, our postlude, our choir music today were all composed by women. Women's History Month ended on March 31st, but women's history continues. Will you join me in prayer? Holy One, you exist beyond our human understanding of gender and the rules that we attach to it. You are the God of Abraham, Moses, and Isaac. You are the God of Thecla, 
of Sylvia Rivera, of Katherine Johnson, of Mary and the other Mary. Help open our eyes to all of your children, whom we too often gloss over, knowing only as the other Mary. Help open our ears to the stories of our foremothers. Inscribe their names on our hearts, that their legacies may live in us. Their courage may embolden us, and their teachings may inspire us. In your one name and in your many names we pray. Amen.